I can't wait until I get to heaven and I get to play my harp. Hmm. You too, huh? Leave it to computers to do some weird things now. Don't flip that up yet, guys. I may have to go without that. That devil's at work again. Someday when I can play the harp, then I can play with Shirley and Moffy. And the only string instrument I can play now is my shoestrings. That doesn't give you music; give you problems. John was a young man who decided he wanted to take up a sport. You can put that back up. It's not going to work right now, and I don't have time to mess with it. He wanted to do a new sport, and so he started the sport of kayaking. Do we have any kayakers here? One. Wow, good. Well, he took all of his lessons. That's not an easy thing to do, is kayaking. And he took all of his lessons and everything, and he was going to go out on his solo run, and uh, he gets all into his kayak and he puts it out in the water. He didn't realize that the night before there had been a major rainstorm up, upstream. And the water was deeper and swifter than usual. He was going down the rapids. Uh, we know what that's like because uh, behind Jean's twin sister's house on the, i got to stop and think, on the Arkansas River. I have to stop because in Kansas, the Arkansas River is called the Arkansas River. And uh, there's some rapids that go through there, and the kayakers love to go through the rapids, but when it gets up higher and the, and the stream is swifter, there's a lot of tragedies that take place. And John went down, not realizing this is his solo run, not realizing that the stream was a little swifter than usual. And so because of that, he... Uh, gets going pretty good, but then when he really hit the major rapids, John lost control of his kayak and it flipped over. In his panic, upside down in the water with the current really moving him down, he lost his oar. Now that's the major thing to get you back up. So he had to release himself from the kayak, swam up to the top, but the stream now was so swift and the rocks were so big that, uh, and he was in such a panic that he just was trying everything that he could to be able to save him and keep his head above water. People along on the banks of the river were yelling out something, but he was in such a concentration of trying to keep afloat that he couldn't hear what they were saying. Needless to say, he was dashed upon the rocks and John was killed. His parents later found, from the people who were alongside the banks, found out what they were yelling. 
just a little bit to the right of John was this big rock in the middle of the stream and all he would have had to have done was paddle just a little bit and he could have grabbed a hold of the rock and saved himself. Well, there's a lot of people who are going through a lot of trials now and uh, who are trying desperately to keep afloat. Many of them are losing their jobs. We have church members here they are losing their jobs. Many of them are going through physical problems. They're going through financial problems, losing their homes, um, marital problems. A lot of them, because of the stress of the finances and everything, they're losing their spouses. And it seems to all be dumping down on top of people. Of course, we know that we're coming close to the end of time. And uh, when that takes place, there is a rock that we need to reach out and to grasp a hold of. We as a church can talk about this rock. We can point it out to them, but until they grab a hold of this rock, there's nothing that can be done. And so because of that, we need to take a look at some things that are within the scriptures itself and kind of give you a little background and then we'll turn to the passages the Egyptians, I mean, the, the Israelites found themselves in Egypt in the Old Testament were slaves. They had to work hard for very little. And uh, it was a very cruel time for these individuals. And then all of a sudden here comes Moses with a message from God and these plagues came and hit the area and then God says, let my people go and Pharaoh let the people go and there found themselves heading someplace they don't know where, at the mercy of Moses and God, hoping that they'll direct them to the right place, losing their homes, and even though their job was a job of slavery and hard labor and hard work and very little money, they had to leave their jobs. They had nothing. And they went out. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at the first four verses. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul, who wrote in Corinthians, is talking about this experience of what we call the Exodus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. Talking about those back in Egypt. All passed through the sea. Where did they, see, where did they pass through the sea? The Red Sea, Okay. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank of that spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Okay. This, these four verses tells us this. God's people, Israel, was baptized into the sea in the cloud, whatever that means. Israel drank from the spiritual rock. The rock followed them. Have you ever had a rock follow you home? The rock followed them, and then the rock is identified as Jesus. Go to Exodus 13 now. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. 
We're going to go back and look at this experience. Exodus 13, this is the leaving Egypt, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to God by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So what is this telling us? This tells us that God led his people by a fire and cloud. Evidently, being baptized in the cloud has something to do with following in the presence of God relying upon God to deliver them from their predicament that they're in. In this case, they're losing their homes, their job, they're losing maybe some family members, they're being led out into a wilderness, they've got uh, the Egyptians, the soldiers coming who had changed their mind behind them, and then the sea parts. But this is a cloud and fire, this being followed. This passage says nothing about a rock leading the people. Go to Exodus 15 now, Exodus 15 and verse 13. Exodus 15, verse 13. We know from the experience, like you said, when they went through the Red Sea following, and uh, that was their, their baptism, so to speak. Exodus 15 and verse 13 says, You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. That's that leading of of God, of his people. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. So the question is, where is God's holy habitation? Well, let's look at verse 17 now. Exodus 15, verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. So it has something to do with God's mountain, And it's also called his sanctuary. Where is the mountain of God? In heaven? Where? Mount Sinai. Isn't that where God led them? God led them from Egypt, took them through the Red Sea. He's leading them to the mountain, the habitation place of God, the living place of God when he was here on this earth. And it was his mountain. It was Mount Sinai. The cloud rested on Mount Sinai. They saw the lightning and thunder and felt the earth shake because the presence of God was there. Now, not only was this the mountain of his habitation, but it also said that it's also called God's sanctuary. Have you ever heard of a sanctuary before? When Moses went up into that mountain, into Mount Sinai, 
went into the clouds. And, and when he was up there, he received a couple of things. The first thing he received was the Ten Commandments, right? God's law. The second thing he received was that God told him how to build a sanctuary. You have the, the curtains that were there, and it was supposed to go with them. You have the outer court, and then you had the holy place and the most holy place. That was to be his sanctuary. That was to be a, a, a place that was built here on this earth. It was crude, but it was after the model where? In heaven. Okay, so he had that. Let me share with you something. I wish this thing was working. I don't know what you did to it. No, I won't blame you. You're right. We need to get a new model. And you'll have this in a handout that my wife has ready for you that has the sermon notes and it has this drawing that was I was going to put on here. Picture in your mind the sanctuary of God, okay? It was that... that uh, curtain that went all the way around and the people could only come to the entrance and then just inside the entrance what was there a what the no it wasn't the ark it was the altar what did they do on the altar they had the sacrifice where they sacrificed the animals and then they placed it on the altar and then they had they they burnt the sacrifice that was there okay and and there was the fire that burned it do you know of an experience with Moses where there was a fire? The burning bush. Ah. Then when you went past the altar, still in that outer court, there was another thing that was there. A what? The laver. And what was in the laver? Water. And what would the priests do? They would go in and they would wash very meticulously before they ever entered into the holy place. And their feet. And as they were washing, this was kind of a baptism. Now, what did we say when the people of Israel left Egypt and they were baptized in the water in the cloud? Where was the water? The Red Sea. Do you see a correlation here? Okay, now let's go into the holy place. There's another big tent that's around there. And you go into the holy place, and the first thing that you notice in the holy place... The candlesticks, the light of the world, okay? So they had the sacrifices that was out there. And again, that burning bush, it's a, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. There's the burning bush that's there. Then off to the other side, what was there? Table of showbread. The table of showbread was there. And what did they do with that? They changed it every day. But what would the priests do with the bread that was left over? They would eat it. Okay, we're going to see what that means in a minute. Then you have another piece of furniture that was there. The altar of incense. You know what Moses built on the base of the mountain? Mount Sinai, he built an altar that was there. These things aren't by coincidence, is it? Now let's go into the most holy place. What was in the most holy place? The Ark of the Covenant. It had the angels that were there. And then uh, above the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. Okay? What was there on the mercy seat? The Shekinah glory. What's that? The presence of God. And on the mountain, at the top of the mountain, was the cloud and the lightnings and the thunder and whose presence was there? 
Okay? Now, in that Ark of the Covenant, what was on the inside of the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. I'm going to leave this part out for a bit on the Ten Commandments, but there's a fulfillment of this. But we're going to see what it is. Is it a coincidence that we can see the same things taking place in the, in the uh, mountain, in the leading of the people, as it was in God's worship with His sanctuary service uh, after that time. They kind of coincide. Now, I want you to see something. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 24. We're going to go back to that table of showbread for a moment. Okay? Exodus 24, beginning with verse 9, verses 9 through 12. Look what it says. Then Moses went up, that's up to Mount Sinai, also Aaron, who's Aaron? That's his brother, who became, by the way, the first high priest. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, all coming from all the tribes, the representatives from all the tribes, and they saw the God of Israel. Now, you can't stand before God and, and still live, but there's still that cloud covering in there. Okay? And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of, of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles, that's these 12, the people that came, representatives from the 12 tribes, the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand... So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Keep that in mind. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law which command, and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. Okay. When, they, when these representatives and Moses and Aaron and all of them were going up there, this was when God was making a covenant with his people. The customs of those days when they made a covenant was that afterwards they would sit down and have a meal. That was the sealing of the covenant. They would have a meal. Here they're going up to the mountain. They're having a covenant with God. And now they're sealing that covenant with a meal. Now that's not too far-fetched because we do the same thing. When, when I have a wedding... And we go through and we have a beautiful wedding. What do we usually have in following the wedding? Yeah, a dinner, a reception. And it's kind of sealing the covenant that these two couples, that these two people made with not only with each other but with God. By the way, a wedding should be a covenant between the husband and a wife and God. You leave any out and it's not a covenant. It's a binding covenant that lasts how long? Yeah, so till death do us part. So there's that covenant that's there. So here they're having this meal on the mountain, okay? Now, what I want to look at, what we looked at in, in that part, it says they went up and they saw God, they had this meal, and then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them, okay? Just before that, when he went up there, when they looked and they saw God and he was, was there, and under his feet was a paved work. What's a paved work? We got 
paved asphalt out here. We've got paved concrete all over. Something that's hard. Something that's substantial. Okay, here's the paved work of God. And what was under His feet? Sapphire. You ever seen sapphire? Blue. Beautiful. In fact, they even described it. Man, it wasn't just any sapphire. It was, it was a beautiful thing that they saw. It was, a, it was a sapphire stone and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. Very clear, very pure. Okay, the sapphire stone. And then he says in there, he says, you know, that uh, I'm going to give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach. So there is the tablets of stone. In the Hebrew, in English, we've left an important word out where it says tablets of stone. In the Hebrew, it is literally the tablets of the stone. A certain stone. Not just any stone on the mountain. It is the stone on the mountain. Go to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel saw the throne of God in vision. And he's looking and he's seeing everything that's there. And take a look what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 1. Ezekiel 10 and verse 1. Ezekiel 10 verse 1. And I looked... And there in the firmament, that was above the head of the cherubim. Now when you're in the sanctuary, what's above the head of the cherubim? In the sanctuary, it's the, it's, it's the presence of God. It's, it's, it's God. It's He and His Shekinah glory, okay? Above the head of the, of the cherubim, there appeared something like a what? Sapphire stone having the appearance of the likeness of a what? A throne. What is Ezekiel seeing in the heavenly sanctuary that was above the angels? The throne of God, and the throne is made from sapphire. Okay? So he's basically saying, I saw God's throne and it was made of sapphire. Now go to Exodus. Back to Exodus 24 and verse 12. Maybe it's a good thing that you look all this up. Exodus 24, verse 12. Sometimes we rely so much on computers and screens and everything, you don't bring your Bible and you get all rusty and you can't find these places, so I'm going to help you. Not get rusty, but to find the places. Exodus 24 and verse 12. In that... God is telling Moses, I will give you tablets of the stone. I will give you the tablets of the stone. What stone is he talking about? Look up at verse 10. It's the sapphire stone. And when Ezekiel saw it, it's a part of God's throne. So the tablets that has what written on them? has the Ten Commandments, is made of what stone? Sapphire. From the throne of God. It isn't just any stone. It's sapphire. 
Now, what? Oh, you're jumping ahead of me, Ted. Hold back. Hold the reins on that horse. Both the tablets and the writing were the work of God. That's what it tells us. The tablets were the work of God because He took it from His stone, from His throne, the sapphire. The writing, Ten Commandments were written with the finger of God. He made this and it was specific, those things that were on there. And He was very clear. God made those tablets out of the blue sapphire stone from His throne. God wrote the Ten Commandments on the blue stone. Now go to Numbers. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers 15. God's going to tell His people as they're there, He's going to tell them how to dress and why they should dress that way. Numbers chapter 15. Verses 37 and 38. Numbers 15, verses 37 and 38. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers 15, verses 37 and 38. It says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. So he says, Now here's the, all the people that are following me. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments. They're to put tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations. So it's not just this generation. It's generation after generation after generation. And put a blue, what color? Blue thread in the tassels of the corners. Why blue? Look at verse 39. And you shall have the tassels that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. The blue in the tassels represents what? The commandments which were made from sapphire, which comes from the throne of God. So when they saw their everyday clothes, when they saw the blue, it would remind them of God's law. Is the law important to God? Very much so. Very much so. So, here they have the blue that is there. They are to wear it. They are to see it all the time. And the reason is, is that they are to wear it not only to remember the commandments, but it's to follow the commandments. Why? so that they won't follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. Have we ever heard lately about a harlot? Where? In the book of Revelation. The blue is to remind God's people of the commandments, and God is trying to protect His people from being led into a life like a harlot. Go to Revelation 17 now. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 4. Oh, I like to hear those pages turn. The only thing that sounds better than that is money falling in the offering plate. <laughs> Not that I get any, it just sounds good. Revelation 17, verses 1 through 4. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, 
I will show you the judgment of the great what? Harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk and the wine with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away, the spirit, into the wilderness. Notice that he carried me in the wilderness, not to a mountain. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in, now look at the colors, in, what's the first one? Purple. And then the next one is scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. The three colors of the harlot is purple, scarlet, and gold. Okay? Now, in Bible prophecy, what does a woman represent? Church, God's people, okay? So if it is a, a pure church, a, a, a chaste church, then this is God's faithful people that are following Christ, okay? Has only one husband. That one husband is who? Christ, Jesus Christ, okay? But this is not a chaste woman. This is a harlot, an unfaithful church with many numerous lovers. And this unfaithful church is wearing purple, scarlet, and gold. Now go to Exodus 28. Exodus 28, verses 31 to 34. Exodus 28, beginning with verse 31. Now this is talking about now what the high priest, how he's supposed to dress when he goes into the sanctuary. Exodus 28, beginning with verse 31. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of what color? Uh, blue. What color is a sapphire? Blue. And what's blue to remind us of? The commandments of God. There shall be an opening for it in the, head, in the middle of it, and it shall have a woven binding all around it, an opening like the opening in a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarn all around its hem and the bells of gold between them all around. So at the colors of the high priest is purple, scarlet, blue, and gold. What were the three colors of the harlot? Purple, scarlet, and what color is missing? Blue. Why? Blue represents the commandments of God. What does the harlot, the Antichrist beast, claims that it tries to do? Change the laws of God. The times and the laws. The, the, the commandments is not of any significance to the harlot. It's missing. Book of Revelation tells us that God's people in the last days, it describes them, it says, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. The harlot is wearing the colors of the high priest, making it look like I'm a follower of God. Look, i got the right colors on 
but it's missing one of the colors, which is blue, because the commandments are not significant. But to God's people, it's very significant. God desires to save us from the snares of the deception in the last days. He also desires and, uh, to protect and to guide His people at all times, especially during the hard times. When we're going through the rough times, it says the rock will follow them, go through with them through the hard times. And this rock is what color? Blue. And the rock is Christ, is Jesus. Okay, you're thinking blue represents the commandments of God and, and His throne. And the second thing is, I'm going to tell you next week. You got to come back. Got to leave you hanging. Because you got to hear this. This is important. There's a lot of people, even within our denomination, that is very unclear on what we're going to look at this coming, this coming week. So you got to be here. But in the meantime, we're going to take our hymnals and we're going to turn to hymn number 2522. My hope is built on nothing less. Hymn number 522.